pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word that speaks words to rebuke, encourage, comfort, train us in righteousness. We pray that by your spirit that that would happen, that I might speak words that are faithful to your word, helpful for building your people up. And Lord, we pray that you might plant your word in our hearts, change us from the inside out to be more generous like our Saviour. Amen. Do you remember the Oliver Twist movie? You remember Oliver? He's hungry, understandably, and he says, please, sir, can I have some more? When you're hungry, it's natural to want more. I think most of us want more. Some of us constantly want more. You know, when you get that toy or that gadget, that game, or that car, that piece of clothing, that cash, all too soon we want more. I know what that's like. I think you do too. It's easier, it's more fun to buy things for ourselves, get things for ourselves, than to give to others. We can quickly get for ourselves and we can struggle to give to others or to the gospel. And maybe our passage today will rebuke us for this. But I hope that you'll also be encouraged by the gospel and stirred in your heart to generosity. What we'll hear in God's word today is good news, and it's good for us. For when we've been captured by Christ, and when we find our contentment in him, it changes everything. If you were here last week when we looked at the first part of chapter 4, you'll recall that the Apostle Paul spoke about joy and peace. Instead of worry and anxiety, God would give us peace when we pray to him with thanksgiving, when we're trusting in his provision and in his promises. We're also told in verse 4 to rejoice in the Lord always. Whatever our circumstances, we can rejoice in who our Lord Jesus is and what he has done for us. And so we can experience joy and peace when we trust in our Lord. And now in verse 10, we see Paul also rejoicing in the care and the thoughtful concern of the the Philippian Christians have shown to him. And that's because they've again given to him financially to support him and his ministry. And this brings us to my first of two points today, content in whatever. Paul rejoices in the Lord. He praises God for the Philippians' care and support. But then he qualifies it and says, I don't say this out of need, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. Being content is about believing and knowing that you have sufficient Enough. That means choosing not to covet, choosing not to seek more, always want more, get more, because I honestly believe I have what I need. I'm able to make do with, as Paul says, or I'm able to cope with a little or a lot. And if he has lots, I think it means that he still is not taking his eyes off God and God's priorities. And so this contentment, it's a peaceful acceptance of God's provision. I hope you can see the link back to verses 4 to 7. Because when you're you're not worried or anxious, but have peace, you're praying and you're trusting God, you'll also be content. And so that that being at peace in verse 7 
and being content in verse 11 that they match up. It's sort of describing the same thing. You may remember I quoted from the singer Lauren Daigle last week, God, you give me everything I need. You don't learn contentment by separating your mind from your circumstances with a stoic attitude, distancing yourself from your pain. And you don't learn this contentment with a Buddhist attitude of detachment from this world and your desires. We learn it by trusting God, by trusting that God is good, God is sovereign all the time. So I hope you can see it's more than head knowledge. It's a heart experience that's developed uh, in real situations. I mean, look at verse 11. Paul speaks of learning contentment. And in verse 12, of learning the secret of being content. And that secret, I think, is in verse 13, that I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And the him there is referring back to the Lord in verse 10, the Lord Jesus. So I'm able to do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now that verse is often quoted. You might have memorized it. Often, though, it's quoted out of context. It's not promising that you can do anything and everything, anything you want. So it's not promising that you will be be free from sin tomorrow. It's not promising promising that you'll be able to fly like a bird or that you'll be able to get 100% on that test next week or that you'll be able to bench press 200 kilos or be able to beat cancer in this life. You see, in context, it's saying in whatever circumstances you find yourself in, whatever material situation God ordains for you to be, you can trust him and find contentment in that, for he can strengthen you in that. Verse 13, you see, it's not a promise to be self-sufficient, but really God-sufficient, leaving you content in anything. Because your contentment is in Christ. It is believing that I can live my Christian life knowing that the power of God is far greater than whatever difficulty I am facing. There is no trial too difficult, no obstacle too high, no temptation too strong, no opposition too powerful, no persecution too threatening. If we put our faith in God and follow him in obedience, then joy and contentment and confidence will be ours. It's about strong trust in the God who is trustworthy. And so do you need to look at your circumstances differently? Like I said last week, seeing them as an opportunity now, an opportunity to learn contentment, to mature in faith and as a Christian. We're like Paul in verse 12, all circumstances, whether well-fed or hungry, abundance or need, whether you have more than enough or not enough and you suffer without, you can still say, I am okay. I confess that this is not easy. You know, I find eating dinner two hours late hard enough. I did the 40-hour famine once. I do not know what it is to starve. But if I learn contentment, even I'm more 
I'm less likely to grumble at others or be impatient when I'm not getting what I want. I'm not going to be so selfish. Kids, I don't know if you've seen the movie Matilda, Roald Dahl, Roald Dahl's Matilda the Musical. But in it, Matilda goes to her teacher, Miss Honey's house. You've got a picture of her house there. It's very small. But Miss Honey says, or rather she sings, it's not much, but it is enough. It's not much, but it is enough for me. I think there's a lesson for all of us in her words. With whatever you have at the moment, God wants you to be able to say, it is enough. And mean it because you trust him. And that's something to pray for, isn't it? One mum, Shaban King, writes an article on how to teach our kids contentment in all circumstances. She says, I've taught my children lots of things, including how to brush their teeth, how to use the toilet rather than the floor, because I have three boys, how not to behave like animals at dinner time. Uh, these practical skills took time and patience to model and teach, but as they practiced each habit, I could gradually withdraw my guidance and transfer responsibility to them. But what about the habits of the heart? Reflecting on our passage today, Rishaban says they're still learned. The world tells us to create pleasant circumstances for our children, ensuring they are never in want. But she asks, Have birthdays become all about getting new stuff? I can teach them to take time to carefully read their birthday cards and thank the giver before opening the gift. In sport, is sport about about being the best, always winning? I can teach how effort, self-discipline and encouragement in sport is great training for life, Christian life. I can help them enjoy their circumstances with a solo playtime with minimal toys. I can read the Bible daily with them, showing how stories like Joseph demonstrate the sovereignty of God and a part of the big picture of God's will for his people. I can teach that we are led by the selfish desires of our hearts to sin, and it's why we need Jesus and his sacrificial love. I can show my children in in their many moments of impatience, conflict, grumbling, how to wait, put aside their rights, and fix their eyes on Jesus. I can allow or create adverse circumstances to reinforce that the response of our hearts matters to God. And that we can rejoice in the Lord always, knowing that peace of God which transcends all understanding. I can make only one dinner each night. I can hide or give away my children's toys. I can beat them at board games to give them an opportunity to learn and practice, putting off grumbling and putting on a thankful self-denial that delights in God's will. I can use music to practice memory verses about God's love about God's mercy and sovereignty. And I can use alarms to alert my boys to read their Bible so their mind is filled with excellent or praiseworthy things. And we need to model contentment ourselves. Whether or not you're a parent, I think there's some things that relate to us all.
But maybe there is something helpful there for you in your parenting. Timothy Keller wrote about contentment in this book, Making Sense of God. And he says, travel, material goods, sensual satisfaction, success and status give quick spikes of pleasure and then fade. When we taste a moment of contentment, we sense how fleeting it is and that it will soon be wrenched from our grasp. We long for that deep joy and lasting satisfaction. Keller quotes Augustine and says, From all eternity, those three divine persons, the Father, Son, and Spirit, have been loving one another in infinite degrees of joy and glory, and we were created to know this joy by loving and glorifying God preeminently. So our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. The solution is not to love the things of this life less, but to love God more. The problem is not that you love your job, your family or money too much, but that you love God too little. Infusing your heart with a sense of God's love for you and inclining your heart to love him in return will transform your life. And we can't just love God more by an act of the will. We must grasp onto and be gripped by the true story of God's actual, sacrificial, saving love for us in Jesus. Then instead of looking to money and work and career for the deepest source of contentment, work becomes work. A great way to use your gifts and be useful to others. Money becomes just money. A great way to support your family and others. But they're not the source of your safety and contentment. God is. This brings us to point two. Partnering and giving. Having said in verse 10 that he rejoiced in the Philippians' care, Paul says in verse 14 that he's grateful for their partnership in his suffering. Right back at the start of the letter, as we heard in the kids' talk in chapter 1, verse 5, Paul said he thanks God for them and their partnership in the gospel. And the Philippians had been doing both, partnering with Paul in his suffering while he's in prison and in his ministry. And he goes on to explain that they sent money, financial gifts to Paul in prison through Epaphroditus, verse 18. So he had more than enough. In fact, they are the only Macedonian church that partner with him financially. We we read that earlier. Jen read it for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, didn't we? The Philippians were experiencing poverty and hardship themselves, and they still gave to Paul and his ministry. They still partnered with Paul financially. But in a partnership, it is a two-way thing. As verse 15 says, there's giving and receiving. And while the Philippians gave their money and Epaphroditus to support and encourage Paul, they no doubt received joy and encouragement and prayers in return. And through their giving, it's enabling, facilitating people to be saved in Rome. Gospel partnerships are about more than money. There's prayers, there's encouragements, there's visits, there's practical help, all to see people saved and grow. Paul, he was a prisoner, remember, in Rome at this time when he writes. 
Prisoners back then did not have their meals provided for. Okay? No meals. They relied on others to provide for them. If you read the very end of Acts 28, we also are told that Paul stayed in a rented house. We presume he had to rent the house. And so surely the Philippians' giving has enabled him to pay rent, have a place to live in. So the Philippians have helped in these things. Amazingly, though, Paul says he didn't need their support. Remember, because he was content going without, verse 11. He wasn't seeking their gift, verse 17. I think with my little faith, if I was without money to buy food and pay rent, I would be seeking help. It's okay to ask for help. You see here, it's not that Paul's ungrateful. He's just truly content. For Paul, more than them providing for his needs, which they did, he says in verse 17 that the real profit, the real fruit of their giving is going to their account. In other words, they're laying up treasure in heaven, as Jesus said to do in Matthew 6. God will repay and reward them at the return of Jesus. They will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I wonder if you will too. In verse 18, the Philippians' money given to Paul, it's described as a fragrant offering and acceptable sacrifice to God. Amazingly, these are words that Paul used in Ephesians chapter 5 to describe Jesus' loving sacrifice, him giving himself for us on the cross. So Paul parallels Christ's giving of his life for our forgiveness with the Philippians' sacrificial giving was sacrificial for them. Their sacrificial giving of their finances to support Paul in his gospel ministry. In fact, when we think about this, Christ's giving actually drives our giving. We, we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich for your sake, he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. See, Jesus gave up his heavenly, glorious riches so that we could become rich spiritually now, fully in heaven. And when we trust in him for forgiveness and friendship with God, it also changes us and our desires, our motives. The example and the love of Jesus for us motivates us to love others. The the generosity of Jesus, when we focus on that, I really grasp that it moves us to be generous to others too. And so the gospel drives our generosity and drives us to support gospel ministry. And so if you are not as generous as you are able, maybe you haven't really grasped the gospel. So why give to gospel ministry? Because God has given you everything you have. And Jesus gave his life to give us life. And he wants us to be givers too. Because our giving is part of our grateful worship of God and it pleases God. Verse 18. Because in giving we are trusting, like in verse 19, that that our God will meet, supply all of our needs. It shows that we trust that God will meet our needs now and in the future. 
We give to gospel ministry because the gospel will save people. Just like the people that Paul witnessed to while he was imprisoned in Rome, because we read right at the end, don't we, verse 22, about people in Caesar's own household being saved. Surely as Paul has shared the gospel and they've believed it. Or someone else believed it and then told them about it. We give to gospel ministry. We partner with gospel workers because as people are saved and grow, then our Father God gets glorified. Verse 20. So you see, you're, you're, you and I, us giving our money away generously, cheerfully, as you decide in your heart to give, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7, it, it pleases and glorifies God as you trust in his provision for you. So how do you practically want to respond? I ask, are you giving to your local church, to gospel ministry here? Is that regular? I think budgeting for that can be helpful. Please also know that 10% of what's given to the offering goes to support our missionaries. But I also encourage you to give to mission organizations and partner with individuals like the Philippians partner with Paul. As I said in the kids' talk, we partner with nine missionaries uh, here, plus Christian Union University workers who are all striving to make disciples of Jesus. So often, the more we have, though, the more we want. I ask, do you need to decide that enough is enough? Do you need to decide today to trust God in your financial situation? Do you need to decide today to rein in your wants and desires? Instead of focusing on the things you don't have, learn to appreciate the things you do have. Not just material things, but relationships and the blessings you have in Christ. And the next time you feel like spending money, ask yourself, do I really need this? Can I be, can I be giving more to support others sharing the gospel, to see people saved from hell and grow in Christ? So God gets the glory. So please pray for greater contentment in Christ that results in greater generosity to others. Gospelpatrons.org and this book describes people and business leaders whose generosity has changed the world. John Reinhardt, the author, records... A few months ago, I heard rumors of a woman who travels around the world proactively looking for people to support who spread the gospel amongst the least reached areas of the earth. Who does that? I said out loud. I have to meet this woman. And a month later, I did. I learned that she was in her 40s when she unexpectedly inherited a large portion of her family business worth millions. But unlike the winners of Tats Lotto, her reaction was not joy but fear. She said, up until then, I'd rarely given away even 5% of my income. And even at that thought, I thought I was giving away my life savings and I was scared to death. John asked, do you ever think of what you would have done with the money you hadn't, if you hadn't used it for gospel purposes? She said, without hesitation, it would have ruined me. I know people who put their money in the bank and never touch it, never steward it. 
and lots of other people who spend it all up and end end up in debt. Others I know have lost marriages over money problems, which includes having too much money. It would have ruined me. But now, after many years, the foundation I started gives away $300,000 a year, and I love it. I don't imagine that you have three hundred k to give away. Maybe it is 300 though, or $30 a month, or if you're a kid, $3 of your pocket money put in that box. And it's only by the grace of God that it, that's at work in us that will move us to contentment and generosity in partnerships. Please look at where Paul finishes the letter. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. That's Paul's longing and prayer that the grace of Christ will be with them. And as his grace is with us, we will live his way too. To pray for grace, to trust him more, so that we will be content and generous. But I want to finish one more minute because we've reached the end of our Philippian series. Neil's going to be starting a series through the book of Jeremiah uh, this next term. But what was it that, is, that you've learnt or been challenged by or encouraged by uh, in this series of Philippians? Let me remind you of some of the things we've covered, just to jog your memory if you're forgetful like me. Thankfulness in our prayers and praying for others in gospel work is something we've been encouraged to do. Have confidence in God as we share the gospel, even when we might suffer for it. That living is, living is to be about serving Christ, and dying is to, involves going to be with the Lord, and that's better by far. Being asked to be humble, consider others' interests, and serve others in love, like our Lord Jesus has. God wants us to shine like stars in the world, that is, in your school, in your workplace. And to care for others and be examples to others. And to care that you and we as a church would hold to the gospel, saved by grace through faith, not by works. God wants us to find our joy in Christ and look forward to his coming. And that we so trust God in prayer that we find peace that calms our worries, that we find contentment in our circumstances and give generously and in all those things so God gets the glory. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the good news of the gospel that's changed our lives. It's powerful to change others. In our suburbs, in our city, our country, our world, we pray God as we're able And as you move us to give willingly and cheerfully, that we would give to gospel ministry through our church here. And as we partner with others serving elsewhere. Lord, we pray that we would so love you and trust in your provision that we would not be worried about our finances. And for those who are going without God, we pray that you would generously meet their need, even through their brothers and sisters. And Father, we pray too that you might Again, forgive us for all the times when we're not content, when we've been greedy and covetous, never satisfied with what we have, always wanting more. Please forgive us for our sin. Turn us away from selfishness 
And God, we pray that you might move us to be generous like our loving Saviour has been to us. Amen.